It's time for your dose of Lamb Talks, the official podcast of Lambda Kappa Sigma. I'm Sarah Kaboyan. I am Justine Dixon. I am Letitia Warnick. We are pharmacists. LKS sisters. And your Lamb Talks hosts. Our mission is to elevate our sisters through the sharing of wisdom, knowledge, and experiences from our esteemed alumni network and other special guests as we discuss the challenges and opportunities we face within our careers and everyday lives. Tune in monthly to learn something new about the wonderful profession of pharmacy. Hello, Lambs. This is Letitia, one of your Lamb Talks co-hosts. I am so excited to introduce our guest for this month. Her name is Krista Bauer. She is one of my dear friends, We were in the Alpha Phi chapter at Wilkes together as students. Justine and I had the pleasure of talking with Krista to learn about her role in medical cannabis. Krista provided us with an excellent overview of her job and responsibilities in medical cannabis. And this episode is jam-packed with useful information. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Krista. We are so excited to have you with us today. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Krista. Oh gosh. So other than being a pharmacist, which obviously we're going to talk about in the depth of this episode, but I am also living near Bloomsburg Danville area. That's also where I work in Pennsylvania. That is where I live. I'm currently engaged and planning a wedding. So that's something about me that is frazzled at the moment, (laughs) but it's being planned for 2022 in the fall. So hopefully maybe a little bit less craziness. I am also a crazy cat mom. We have three cats (laughs) and what else? I recently became a wellness coach. So that's kind of something new in my life that I'm kind of testing out, but something I'm excited about. It's mostly it for right now. Tell us a little bit about maybe where you went to school, what chapter you're from. Oh, yes, absolutely. So I went to Wilkes University, yay Wilkes, and Alpha Phi, chapter four, LKS. Oh my gosh, loved Wilkes, loved LKS. I wouldn't change any of that for the world, for sure. That was definitely the greatest college experience ever. Now we've had a, a running question mark for a few episodes because we've had a few people from Wilkes. How do you pronounce the other half of Wilkes? Oh gosh. I think I pronounce it differently every time I say it, but mostly okay. on purpose because that's the joke. Okay. So now I'm trying to think if I were to just say, okay, we're going up to Wilkes-Bear. 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 Is that what you but, say, Latish? Yes. I say Wilkes-Bear, okay. but I think it's actually Barry. Well, I think it is Barry because it's by John name. Wilkes it's and William Barry. Yes. Hmm. But I mean, I, I joke around all the time and I'm like, oh, I'm going up to Wilkes bar <laughs> or, you know, you see the t-shirts with all the different ways to spell yeah. it. Or say it so. <laughs> Fantastic. And what year did you graduate? Oh gosh. When did we graduate? 2017. Can you believe it's been that long? No, I cannot. Not at all. <laughs> I look you guys are saying that like it was a million years ago. Tail. That was so long ago. <laughs> I'm not a 2011 graduate. That's okay. I'm I'll survive. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you say that because I graduated high school in 2011. And so I had to <laughs> think about it. Like, when did I graduate? Oh my god. <laughs> That's okay. I I will just need to get a schedule for my first Botox injection very <laughs> soon. <laughs> 
All right. So word on the street, the actual street is that you work in, I didn't really mean to say that, but I did. You work in a medical marijuana dispensary. Tell us the lingo. What is your title? I don't want to butcher it. Sure. Sure. So yes, the answer is yes. I do work in a medical marijuana dispensary. I typically, if I like have to list my title under anything, I call myself a clinical cannabis pharmacist or even a cannabis consultation pharmacist because consults are essentially the main part of my job. But that's kind of the the lingo, if you want to call it that, as far as my title is concerned. And what do you consult? Like, how do you, what is, sure. yeah. what so, is that part of your job? So essentially it's mostly new patients to the program. We pretty much require a consultation with a pharmacist. So we have a pharmacist on staff at the dispensary, required on staff, physically can't open the dispensary without a pharmacist present. And we're there for a couple of different reasons. I'll go over the consulting first, since that's what you mentioned. Um, But one of the main reasons is that we do get new patients who come in, they've never had a consult with a pharmacist before. And so we kind of require that I just do a short consultation with them, a little bit of background, why are they there, what qualified them to be there, what kinds of symptoms or conditions are they focusing on that way I know what are they looking for, as well as a little bit of background on medications that they currently take their goals with any of their medications, allergies, kind of typical medication history kind of stuff. And then from there, it's a lot of, okay, what are you focusing on? What products do we have available and how can we make those fit your lifestyle? I always say to people, you know, I'm not going to recommend something that you're not going to use. So we need to start you where you think you are, start logo slow kind of deal for most people. But a lot of it's kind of the same concept as we're going over dosing, we're going over forms, we're going over how to take things appropriately scheduled or not scheduled as far as every so many hours versus just as needed. So we go over a lot of that kind of stuff with all of our products, just like you would any other medication. The other kind of half of my job, it's really more like 80% of my job <laughs> is that for every person who walks in the door, that person has a medical marijuana card that allows them to come into a dispensary in Pennsylvania. But what they also have is a certification through the Department of Health that has been given to them by a physician who has been essentially trained to do so. Not every physician, not every family doctor or any doctor that there is has the right to do that. They have to take a course or two, go through these steps with the Department of Health in order to be able to give out those certifications. And my job is that for every patient who walks in the door, I have to check that certification for a restriction or limitation that may have been put there by the doctor. Essentially what it does is it restricts or limits them on what kinds of products that they're allowed to purchase. Now, most people don't have any kind of restriction, but for examples to kind of give you an idea of what I'm looking for, we will occasionally get people who are not allowed to have capsules or pills. And part of that could be if there's someone who's using it for opioid dependency, things like pills may be a trigger for them. So they may need something that's not going to be a trigger for them or someone who has gut issues where the doctor has decided that a capsule is just really not what's best for them. Can you, you know, help them choose something else on the flip side of that? Sometimes we get things like patients are not allowed to have inhaled products for some of the same reasons, as far as like lung compromises, COPD. And and then there's other times where the doctor does not put a limitation, but I may find out some of those things from the patient. And while it's not a black and white line because the doctor didn't put it there, 
I can still make those specific suggestions then, but that's part of looking at the certification as well. So between those two things, I have to look at the certification to make sure the doctor doesn't have any specific things that they said the patient has to do. And then on my end, doing their consult to get an idea of what the patient wants, what the patient needs and helping them pick products and then following up with them as well. Now, Krista, I have a question for you because That certification process and that consultation process, is that something that's specific to Pennsylvania? Because we have a lot of listeners that are listening in other states. So I don't know if you can speak to that. I can speak a little bit to that. So every state is different. I can all say that right off the bat. In fact, most states do not require a pharmacist at all. I believe there's only seven states. And so being in a state where a pharmacist is required, part of their requirement is that we absolutely have to offer consultations for any new patients, as well as anyone else who may want one. So what we do at our dispensary, which this is the other thing, is that every dispensary, even in Pennsylvania, may have their own policies. So while it's not required for them to have a consult, There are some dispensaries that make that their policy. For us, we don't make it required, but during their registration process, we kind of just scoop them into it. Most people don't have any problem with that. So I do get to give consultations to nearly all new patients. There might be a couple that are like, oh, I really talked to my doctor about it. I already know what's going on. I know what I want. And they don't have any questions. Essentially, I just have to offer and document, you know, how pharmacy is. It's not documented. It doesn't exist. So, but then there's other- I'm about ready to cross-stitch that, by the way. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Like I need that poster. I told my student yesterday, I was like, that will be my next cross-stitch project. If it's not documented, it did not happen. Yes. But essentially, so, but then there's other dispensaries that they essentially just ask. And if the patient says no, they just document. So I kind of like that we kind of, I don't want to say push them into, but we almost don't give them a choice unless they, you know, really don't want one. Just because even patients who really don't think they have any questions, I always manage to teach them at least a little bit of something. And I, for the most part, and I don't mean to like toot my own horn. I, I mean this as like our pharmacists in general. I think we do a good job. Yeah, beep, beep. <laughs> uh, I think we do a good job of even the patients who maybe didn't want a consultation at first, they leave happy and they leave joking around or, or they had a little bit of fun with the consultation and, and they were happy about it. And then they get to pick up their products and things that they need in a good mood. So, you know, regardless, I'm not sitting them through hours and hours of content. I'm going over what they want and what they need and how I can help them. But as far as the states, I kind of got off track there. But not only is it dispensary specific, but it is state specific. So as far as states that do not require a pharmacist, I'm really not sure what they do. I don't know if that consultation, quote unquote consultation is done then by the physician who does their certification, or if it's something, I know that there's actually pharmacists who almost have their own consulting businesses in those states and they offer consultations to patients who have not had one, but are in a medical program or in a program of some kind. So I know there's still ways for pharmacists to get involved in this area, even in states where they're not required. I I think there's just such a need and patients kind of know that as well, that pharmacists are so accessible. And if they're there to help teach them, like they don't want to wing it. That's the last thing a patient really wants to do is wing it, spend a lot of money, not get any kind of relief for what they're there for and maybe have side effects that they don't want or, or something like that. Like they want to be able to talk to somebody. So it doesn't really answer your question black and white, but kind of. (laughs) Now, what's the status of recreational marijuana in Pennsylvania? 
it's from what I understand, it's very much in the works, but it's such a process. Like even the medical coming out in Pennsylvania, like just because they pass it doesn't mean that all the regulations have been written. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of the disjointedness is that even if it were to get passed relatively soon, which I know a lot of people are on board currently, especially with revenue for the state and considering the pandemic and it would increase jobs and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of reasons that people are on board, but as far as the regulations and how it would all work, are they going to treat it like date alcohol? Are they going to treat it the same way? Are they going to mm-hmm. tax it? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? I don't think they've even hashed that out yet. Mm-hmm. But I will say as far as pharmacists and recreational versus medical is that there are a lot of states already that started with a medical program and then moved to recreational. And if they already had a pharmacist required for their medical program, they kept their pharmacist for their medical program. They essentially just have them kind of separated. So essentially patients can either or both get a medical card and they're able to go into medical dispensaries and have access to certain medications that are maybe meant for other conditions, a little bit stronger or a certain kind of dosing form. And of course, then the medical team behind that, the pharmacist, as well as trained people to be able to check them out and give them the teaching that they need versus being able to just walk into a recreational place, pick up a pack of gummies and leave, which there's kind of a very gray line between the two. There are patients who can easily use a recreational product for medicinal purposes and be able to do that safely and and perfectly fine. And then there's going to be other patients that just need the consistency of somebody to talk to and follow up with. So from what I understand, even if Pennsylvania goes recreational, medical side is still going to be very much needed. And, you know, a teacher of some kind, like a pharmacist will be needed as well. I think probably anybody listening is going to be wondering, how did you learn everything and what maybe drove you to how did you did you have an appy rotation in this like where did you get this interest I love this question because I'm sure I know I'm sure this is like your number one question yes because if you were to ask Letitia or any of our other friends in college if I was going to be a medical marijuana pharmacist they would have laughed in your face would they would have been like no, like just no, the unlike the unlikely thing. person. Like, it sounds that's, like that's super like just not Krista. Like no, that's no. And <laughs> so there's a kind of a long story behind the whole thing. A short version being is that I ended up having a year between jobs because I did have to take my Naplex a second time. And so I had this interim where I had done six years interning for Wise Markets, and it was great. I got all my interning done there, but because of that weird lapse, I ended up having to look for a different job at the time that I was ready to look for a job. At that point, I was ready to take anything. I was was like anything to pay my loans. (laughs) So I honestly, I kind of just got on Indeed and was looking around and the way that they described this particular job was essentially that the base of my job is I get to do consultations all day. That was my absolute favorite part of pharmacy school. It was my favorite part of rotations. I did an MTM rotation where I literally just called people and did MTMs for five weeks. I did one of my community rotations where I did a lot of MTMs. Like that was really kind of where my passion was. Being actually able to kind of sit down and talk with people and have that one-on-one consultation, which for as much as, you know, I I was a retail pharmacist, totally was going to go into retail. I didn't actually have the experience to be able to 
to do that in the store that I worked in. And so it was kind of just a new opportunity for me to be able to try that out. And it was relatively in the area that I was looking for jobs anyway. They were building a new dispensary. I had to do my training and stuff elsewhere, but it kind of just all fell into place. We didn't have, I mean, Letitia, you could tell them, we had practically no teaching on this in school. Maybe a 20 minute conversation in one of our modules. Like we we just didn't. And that's really by no fault of anyone. I think a lot of colleges at the time didn't know how to address it. It was still relatively new in Pennsylvania. I don't know exactly when medical marijuana came to Pennsylvania, but I I don't don't think it was very early on, like, We were still in school when it came. It really was still very new. So I I don't think there's been a lot of opportunity to talk about it. And I'm not sure, like, even though a pharmacist was required, I'm not sure that schools knew how to teach new pharmacists to approach this kind of a subject. There's a lot of ways to think about it. Like, oh, it's new, you know, who knows how long it's going to last? Are they really going to need a pharmacist? Like, what does the pharmacist do? Like, I just don't think they knew how to address the medical program at all. So we really didn't get any kind of teaching on it. But at the same time, I guess my thought was, is that the conditions that we treat in a medical marijuana program are conditions that are hard to treat. So we have medicines like modern medicines, Western medicines, whatever you want to call it, but there are just a lot of the time that they either don't work well, don't work at all, or they're not worth the side effects. And so while I definitely think there is a time and a place for certain medications, I, I'm not saying by any, I mean, I'm a pharmacist. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying by any means, like just blow that all out the window, but at the same time, People who have not had any success with pain or have gone down a path where now they're opioid dependent and no longer want to be opioid dependent, but they still have their pain. Patients who have anxiety that is not easily treatable, especially in people our age who have a lot of anxiety and seizures and the list goes on. I think there's like 27 things now that we have on our qualifications list, but looking at that list of conditions that are just not easy to treat, my thought was, well, why not give them another option? If they've done everything else, why not give them another option and why not give them someone who's willing to educate? And that's really my favorite thing about being a pharmacist is being able to educate. I love that about my job. And that's just what fit for me. So it really had nothing specifically to do with marijuana itself or having learned it in school or even a rotation, none of that. It was really just, well, if we treat it like a medicine, then this gives so many more people another option. And that's what really drew me to it. That was a beautiful answer. Oh, thank you. No, that was, it was a nice full picture. You know, sometimes life leads you down a path that you didn't expect and Mm -hmm. um, leads you to something else. I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. Sometimes you figure out what that reason is. And sometimes you don't figure out what that reason is and you're not meant to, but it's meant to bring you to a person or to a place or to an experience that will guide you in the right direction in the future. So for all the students out there, let me just say, I would have never had this job had I not failed my NAPLEX the first time. So it is not the end of the world. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yes. It is just a test and it, you will live. But I'm sure it felt like the end of the world when it happened. Oh, it for sure did. Yeah, I bawled my eyes out. Right. I mean, I'm a crier anyway, yeah. but like it, it certainly right. did. But right. You get through it, you get past it, and you wouldn't be where you are today if you passed it the first time. Absolutely. So in such a field that you seem so passionate about because you love teaching patients. All right. So we've got your day-to-day is mostly checking this database and yeah. counseling your patients. Yeah. <laughs> Do your hours, are they kind of is it open late hours, 24 hours? Like Our dispensary, I actually really like our hours. We are open 
nine to nine every day of the week. So it actually makes it really convenient for people who work a nine to five. They can't get to somewhere that closes at four o'clock in the afternoon or that's not open on weekends. Most dispensaries do not have our hours. A lot of them are either Monday through Friday or say they're Tuesday through Saturday. And so they have Sunday, Monday off or they have short kind of hours or maybe they're open a little bit earlier, but they close at four or five, which makes it hard for the typical everyday person who might be working or or have to pick up the kids after school or, or live life to be able to get to us. So we are open pretty much like a a normal pharmacy community pharmacy like 12 hour day my specific schedule which is really nice it's myself and a partner and we do three days on three days off and it just constantly rotates through the week so even though we're open seven days a week you know if I work Monday Tuesday Wednesday I'm off Thursday Friday Saturday my week shifts then Sunday Monday Tuesday got it So I'll occasionally have weekends off occasionally have to work the weekend like it's all kind of fair like it's all balanced Uh so wow that's really nice yeah I love it I I feel like when you are describing this, we first started this conversation with counseling patients and kind of getting that AMCARE feel, right? For I'm I'm thinking of all of our students that are listening that are trying to figure out what they want to do. And you started out talking about this counseling part and making those relationships with patients, chatting with them. And now you also are bringing it into the realm of some similarities to the community setting and a community pharmacy. And is there anything else that you feel like is a really big highlight of this. I, I feel like you've pointed out all these awesome things about this. And we, I have an idea. My, maybe you don't have to bill insurance. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> I just I thought of that. have to bill insurance. Now I know that's one of the things that patients would really love is of if course. we just start taking insurances. Oh, I kind of dread the day that we have to start. You don't have, if I'm being honest. But then you don't I have to do PAs. But you're not on the phone. No. I'm literally only on the phone when I have to call someone for now, granted with COVID I'm on the phone on quote unquote on the phone a lot because we do over the phone consultations. Right. But you're but, not on hold with an insurance company no, right. for no. hours. It's so lovely. So it's kind yeah. of like you were saying, Letitia, it's like the, that's why honestly I liked Amcare from the sound of it is like, I actually loved working retail and community, mm-hmm. but because I loved being able to answer your questions and counsel, but then they're like, just didn't get in the back. You got to keep filling. I'm like, right. oh, I don't want to. I like yes. talking to people. It is all the best parts of retail without some of the, like the busy mm-hmm. kind of work, the phone. Right. The and without the insurance stuff. Yes. Yes. Now, granted, every dispensary has their kind of hierarchy a little different. And I'll go over that in a second. I don't physically dispense anything. Everything in the state of Pennsylvania is already pre-packaged by the grower processor. So there's no counting Mm -hmm. pills. They already come to us in, in like a 20 or 30 count bottle. Some of the other products that we have are already measured, boxed, taped up. I don't have to count. I don't have to. Even better. I don't think anybody in community likes counting by fives actually. I know. Because you're highlighting all the things. And I don't have to do that. (laughs) That's fantastic. Yeah. So I actually don't physically have to dispense anything. Uh Now, the thing that can differ between some of the different dispensaries, the way our hierarchy is, and I love the way that we have it, is that I'm considered management. So I work with the rest of the managers of the store, but I am not in charge of inventory. I am not in charge of staffing or scheduling or 
anything like that. You just come I don't in, have to count yeah. the money at the yeah. end of the night. I don't have to do none of that kind of stuff. So I literally get to lock in at nine o'clock. Now I clock in at eight thirty because that's the kind of person I am. I'm. I need to be here so I know that everyone can do their job and open today. You know, we live in Pennsylvania. You get stuck behind a tractor. We have snow. <laughs> you know. So I well, it's just up. like, yep, yep, I got it. I'm not, I live in Boston. I don't understand that state. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Tractors are a real, uh, someone hits a deer and you oh, have to nope. wait. like it's, oh yeah, it's anyway. But so, but theoretically I can clock in at 9am. I do my consults. I check the certifications all day. Of course, I slip in some other things like doing some CEs. Of course, a lot of this is, you know, which we might get to that in a question, education and stuff like that, like what I have to do for this job. So I'll skip over that part in a little bit, but I plug in some little things like reading articles, CEs, all that kind of stuff throughout my day. And then at 9 PM, I get to clock out. Like I do not have to physically do some of that managerial stuff. Now, some of the dispensaries, their store managers are their pharmacists. Mm-hmm. So they might have to do some of their stuff. So I say that because I don't want to give anyone <laughs> false hope that every right. dispensary is like that. I'm sure there are, actually, I know that there are other dispensaries where their pharmacists are their managers, but I'm pretty sure that the way that they do it is if you're kind of a manager that day, you're not the person also trying to give consultations that day. Mm-hmm. Like I there's see. almost no physical way to do both unless you do appointments and stuff. So again, I can't really speak to some of the other dispensaries, but that's what I love about how we do it is I literally, the managers that they're so great. They're like, we want you to focus on education and patients and we'll focus on like patients and the business and get that running. So I love that. I don't have to do that. <laughs> That is nice. I feel like you highlighted a lot of the really positives of this and the nice aspects of it. I think some of the things that you're saying really resonate with the fact that whoever's looking to go into this field, I think you really need to do your research. You said that there's a lot of different companies, different dispensaries available. Thinking about the different states, the state regulations, mm-hmm. different companies. I think anybody that's interested in this really needs to do their research and figure out maybe where they're going to fit the best and if this is really something for them. And even if you do an interview with a dispensary, make sure you ask what your responsibilities as a pharmacist are, because I think that's really important. I happened, which I didn't know that I needed to ask those questions, but I fell into a great company that really appreciates the pharmacist and their specific spot with education. That is literally my focus. Before COVID, we were going to start doing community outreach and education in that regard. Hopefully we'll be able to start that up again. And again, like they, Mm -hmm. they tell me all the time, they're like, you are our like education specialist. That is what you're here for to educate our patients, follow up with them along with Mm -hmm. the checking the certifications. But I, I really value that that's what they value in, in me as a pharmacist. So you know, asking in, in case you do have any other dispensaries that you have interviews with, or even if you just reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be graduating. Can you tell me a little bit more about what your pharmacist does? They would mm-hmm. answer that for you. Like right. you don't have to even be physically applying for a job at that time. Like do your research now, reach out to other pharmacists that may be in dispensaries just kind of in your area or call anywhere where you know you're going to be moving to or something like that. They would be, I'm sure, happy to answer those kinds of questions so you know what you're getting into. Now, do you take Appy students? 
Or will you no. take out the student? <laughs> I, Is it not allowed? I don't really know. So that's the, part of the problem oh. with the federal line. So I would mm. absolutely love to take Appy students. However, I can understand that colleges and universities probably have a hesitation with allowing their students to participate through the school, a not federally backed program. But it's state backed. (laughs) It is. The way that I think about it is that as long as the school knew exactly what the student would be participating in, which again, I physically don't touch any products. Like they're not, for Appy students, it would be a practice in counseling on these kinds of products. And the reason I think it would be important is because whether you agree with the program or not, whether you agree with it being federally illegal or not, or all of the the ways that you could agree or disagree with this area, you can't pretend it doesn't exist. And as pharmacists, we have to know how to counsel on products if our patients are taking them. And so even if you're not going into medical marijuana, or going to be a medical cannabis pharmacist. If you're a retail pharmacist, I think students should still know how to be approachable enough to ask their patients, are you using medical cannabis or cannabis for any kind of a medical reason? Even if you're not a patient, the reason I ask is because I have your safety in mind and I just wanna make sure that I'm checking for any appropriate interactions. Would you be okay to talk to me about that? And that's not even with being a medical cannabis pharmacist. You know, we get taught a lot in school about asking and kind of digging a little bit and being approachable about, oh, well, you know, you listed your medications, but do you have any over-the-counter medications that I should know about? Because I might need to look for safety concerns. It's the same thing. You just need to be approachable enough to ask. And if students aren't being taught to ask or how to ask, or maybe some of those questions, It's almost like we're pretending it doesn't exist, but you should almost probably assume that somewhere between 50 and 70% of your patients are taking a cannabis product or have in the past or are thinking about doing it in the future, whether it's recreational or whether it's medical cannabis, and they're just not telling anybody. So I, it's 50 to 75%. Yeah. It's a lot of people tried it, are currently taking it or considering it. What's like the major, so I work in transplant and we have concerns about patients using marijuana in general because of concerns of aspergillosis. So we always tell them to one, not smoke it if possible uh, so that we don't put that at risk. But then we also are recreational in Massachusetts. So my thought is even if they did get a medical marijuana card, they're most likely not going to go to a medical dispensary to get their marijuana that can be proven that it's fungal spore free. Right. They're right. going to go to a easier to get to access right. dispensary or, you know, shop. Yeah. So we usually just tell them to, to use edibles if they need to. But I also have concerns about I work in an anticoagulation clinic too on a little bit here and there. So when it comes to drug interactions and if people are trying to incorporate this into their day-to-day asking, like, what is the major thing that you think that they should be watching out for when it comes to drug interactions? Yeah. I know this could probably opening up a can of worms. Yes, it most certainly is. (laughs) This could be a whole nother hour. So if anyone wants a whole hour on this, 
let them know. Uh, I will come back. But to kind Meeting of at convention in the future. Yes. <laughs> um, to quickly, though, kind of glaze over that. Actually, those are two of the major areas that I do keep my eyes out for. Warfarin in particular. Mm-hmm. Let me preface all of this, by the way. Most of the concerns, actually, that we have with drug-drug interactions are CBD-related. And what can you get over the counter? CBD. Mm. Yeah, you can get that at DSW now. You can get it at the gas station. <laughs> I, mean, I was I like, why are they selling this at a shoe store? How tested it is, but you can. True. And I think that's our number one misconception with drug interactions and cannabis products is that it doesn't include CBD. And so CBD also should be something that students mm. or pharmacists should be asking about very regularly as well, especially because, and I don't mean this against patients I mean this in the nicest way possible, but patients often assume that if they have a condition that they want to treat, that they need a lot of something to treat it. Mm. Like, I'm not just going to take five milligrams of CBD. I'm going to take 50 or or 500 because my pain is really bad or my anxiety is really bad. And I'm not discounting that. I'm sure that they feel that those things are really bad, but based on the, on the science and the tests and stuff, you, you really don't need super high doses for most conditions. However, when you find CBD over the counter, what kind of concentrations do you find it in? Super high concentrations. And so that's where some of these drug-drug interactions come into play. Mm -hmm. And all of that's over the counter. That's not even when you come to the dispensary. So that could be a whole nother tangent. But main point being, ask about CBD. Point number two being more toward the dispensary area. So warfarin is a big one that we keep an eye out for. However... As far as the THC component is concerned, it's very similar to leafy greens. So whatever you're taking now, just can keep going and make sure that you're getting your testing done. Okay. That's what I tell the patient that it really shouldn't be any kind of a problem. Now, unless you go from using like five milligrams to using all day, every day and like a hundred different products for no apparent reason. And then your INR, you know, gets all whacked out, then, right. then that could be a problem. But again, I always remind people, I always ask, like, do you go get your testing done consistently? You know, when is your next test? Blah, 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 blah. Keep it consistent. Right. It's like having a salad every other day. Yep. Always be consistent. So if you yes. stop so whatever or you're more, already doing, it's probably fine. Right. I've gotten some weird looks when I've said that they're like, so you're telling me to keep, keep using it. Yes, sir. I am <laughs> <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Yep. Just let us know if it changes. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. So that's pretty much warfarin in a nutshell. As far as transplant, now granted, I see a lot less people, you know, regarding transplant, but I know with some of the immunocompromised kind of issues, obviously that's an issue. And of course, like you mentioned, the products that they're getting, how well are they being tested? How well are they being controlled for bacteria, fungus, et cetera? And then on the other side of that, there are quote unquote, potential interactions with transplant meds as well. And the reason I say potential is because it does have to do with SIP enzymes. It also has to do with dose. You know, are they using a lot, using a little? Have they always been using that versus not been using that? It's a little bit more complicated, but essentially what I always try to recommend is that if they're looking to get any kind of transplant surgery or they're on a transplant medication, that maybe that's something that we need to loop in their doctor as well, or their pharmacist or whoever's taking care of them as well. Like Mm -hmm. that's not something that, you know, I can just be like, 
you're fine. Yeah. You know, like we need, we need to consult a little bit on that. Yeah. And that's actually somewhere where I feel like medical cannabis and medical professionals could really grow is that it shouldn't be us by ourselves you by yourselves, the doctor by themselves. And you know, patients, they have several doctors depending on what condition they're treating. And we're all working independently. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're using cannabis for a particular product and we have a concern that there might be something we need to consult with, like there should be a lot more communication between, okay, here's a, here's a doctor for a patient and they're going to be getting a transplant but up until now they've been using medical cannabis. Maybe they would reach out to their normal pharmacist at that dispensary and come up with a plan. For instance, I had a patient who she was getting surgery. Here's another thing I always say with surgery, you know, make sure you tell your surgeon or your team that you're using cannabis and they may have certain directions as to when you need to stop it, how many days out, when you can start it up again, how many days out, those kinds of things, depending on your surgery. And then we had to make essentially a post-surgical plan for her. And I kind of had to do it on my own. Now she was really good about talking with her physician about that. So I felt comfortable to do that. So I had the physician's input, but through the patient, whereas there's a lot of times where I'm kind of like, I would love to help you, but I need your physician to work with me. You know what I mean? Like I can't do this by myself. And so that's something that I really think as pharmacists, we have a unique position where we are a medical professional. And so hopefully we can start to reach out to other medical professionals on how to integrate that into their practice. Not that they have to recommend it, but you can't assume your patient's not using it. I'm assuming like with additional legislation and things in different states, you know, definitely opportunities lie. And are, I'm sure, like you mentioned earlier, are just are going to be different. So, you know, people really probably need to reach out and sh maybe shadow or talk to them and just see what their opportunities are. Krista, one question mm -hmm. I have for you is I loved all the drug talks, the drug interactions, that nice little overview that you provided. Mm -hmm. And I feel like our listeners want to know, how do they learn about this? What resources are available to help people learn? How did you become an expert? First of all, let me humble myself. I am most certainly not an expert. I like to work toward being an expert, <laughs> but there are definitely a lot of resources. And let me kind of preface this with, because we really don't learn anything about it in school, generally speaking, in order to get this job though, I actually did have to do two particular courses to qualify me essentially for a medical marijuana job. And so one was a course through the Pennsylvania Department of Health. So that's probably similar to other states. I, again, I, I can't really speak for other states, but a lot of other states, their Department of Health is very much involved in any kind of a medical marijuana program. You can actually go on the Department of Health website for your state, and there's usually a tab for okay. medical marijuana. And there's a lot of education there based on your state. So that might be helpful for the students or pharmacists that are in different states because they will have more specific laws and things like that. So take a look at that. I had to do a course through the Pennsylvania Department of Health that had a lot of information on some of the laws as well as the growers and processors, like the people who actually make some of these products and then of course dispensing it as well. And then I had to do a four hour course and they had a bunch of them listed that were approved through the state. So the one that I did was actually through Thomas Jefferson University. 
And I think they actually just updated it. So I also had to do that. So between those two things, that's what essentially qualified me to get this job. So for anyone who, who even might be thinking about going into this field, at least in Pennsylvania, or even if you're in a different state and you just kind of want that background, do those two courses. Because then at the very least, as you either do your boards or whatever, you're looking for this position, you already have those out of the way and you don't have to now do them and wait to get hired. Or, you know, you can actually present that to your employer and say, oh, I already have these done. Ta-da! You know, and you can kind of get through that a little faster. But as far as more specific learning, this is where it's very interesting because every state is different regarding some of their products even. So the way that if we're talking about cannabis as a plant right now, when a state opens up for a cannabis, like a medical cannabis program, when that state first opens up, they have 30 days to bring seeds in from other states. After that 30 days, that is completely shut off. Because if you think about it, anything crossed over a state line is federal jurisdiction. So that would make it federally illegal. So they have 30 days to get in any seeds that they need to grow. After that, everything is what I call pencil tucky strains. So essentially you plant it, you grow it, you crossbreed it, you crossbreed it, you plant it, you crossbreed it, you, everything's a crossbreed. And now we have strains that you can't find in other states because they've been bred or grown in such a way that this is all we have in Pennsylvania. So that doesn't mean there's not new strains because you're constantly kind of crossing some things and adjusting some things using different soil and conditions and all that kind of stuff that goes along with the planting aspect. But so that being said, when people ask like, oh, well, what's good for pain or what's good for anxiety? That's an entirely loaded question because if you're just looking on the internet, you might find things that don't exist in Pennsylvania. They only exist in California or they only exist in Colorado or they're, you know what I mean? So it's, Mm -hmm. you have to do research enough to know the base of what you are recommending, but then you have to apply it to what you can find in Pennsylvania. So essentially, as far as things that you guys can actually look at, As a pharmacist, one of the main things that has helped me as far as the consultation aspect, especially, is the International Society of Cannabis Pharmacists. That's a thing. (laughs) So it's an organization I'm actually a part of that brings pharmacists together across the, actually they're international now, but mostly across the United States to one, get education. They also have CEs. They actually have started doing monthly, they call it the state of cannabis, and they go over different laws in different states that have cannabis products. And so being a part of that organization has been really helpful. The other thing they strive for other than education for pharmacists is also to standardize. So that again, that's been the whole problem through this whole talk is I'm like, well, this is what Pennsylvania does, but I don't really know what other people do. Their goal is to start as we all kind of start having programs of our own in these different states to try to standardize as much as we can as pharmacists. That way, when patients are getting educated, we're all educating them at least the same way. Even if the products are different, our education is the same. So the way you educate on, the, on a capsule is the way that every single pharmacist in the nation educates on a capsule. Same for all the other products. So I really love being a part of that. They also will accept student chapters. So if you want to start one at your school, 
I don't know all the logistics. I'm sure you need, you know, bylaws or, you know, an advisor and those kinds of things. And of course your school would have to allow it, which there's that line there. So hopefully they would allow it for educational purposes, but they do accept student chapters. So keeping that in mind as well. And then kind of more relaxed, I guess, rather than an organization. Some of the other things is there's lots of podcasts, the cannabis conversation. That's a good podcast. The Conigma. So like Enigma, but Conigma, they have really great professionals that get on their podcast and they talk about a lot of very medical specific kind of things as well. And then kind of just a patient friendly website is called Leafly. So Leaf, L-E-A-F-L-Y, Leafly. And it's really, it's meant to be patient friendly. So you're going to see names of products that you won't find in all states, but it will give you a good idea of, oh, okay, certain things are better for pain than they are for anxiety. Certain things are better for anxiety than they are for seizures. You know, those kinds of things. They kind of put it in, in really good patient terms. They have a lot of cannabis 101 education as well. So between a lot of that, as well as patient, once I started building patient interactions, mm-hmm and getting their feedback on Pennsylvania specific products. That's really how I built up a lot of my specific knowledge to how I have to practice. Whereas those two courses that I had to do gave me a lot of the background. And then of course, using my normal kind of pharmacy knowledge, counseling a person on a capsule is just like you would do it as if you were counseling them on blood pressure. It's just, you go over side effects, you go over drug interactions, you go over when to take it with or without food, all those kinds of things. That's all the same. It's just a different medication. That's, that's the difference. I'm thinking about all the students that are listening. You just like dropped some really awesome resources for them. And I'm going to thank you on behalf of them, because this is something, again, requires a lot of learning on your own potentially and, and really figuring it out specifically what's going on in your state and what are the specifics that you might be doing if you're taking a position in this field. So I appreciate you dropping all these resources because again, I think this is something that's continuing to expand and hopefully we'll see more information about this. But I I think this is something that our our listeners are really going to be appreciative of if if this is an interest that they have. And I'm sure you can get them on Audible and things like that. I mean, there's tons and tons of resources. It's just a matter of finding, you know, as a pharmacist, you know, we know the importance of what is a good resource versus what is an okay resource for patients versus please do not get on the Facebook forums. That's all I can say. Well, Krista- we, we want to shift gears because yeah. I, I've been dying to ask this question. We want to hear about your life as a student, your LKS involvement. And I just have to start by saying Krista was historian of our chapter. Might as well still be historian. <laughs> I take pictures <laughs> yes. every time any of our friends get together. They're all like, who's going to take the picture? And they all look at me and I'm like, historian. We already know who's going to take camera. the picture. But Krista, I was historian and then I, I put together back in my day, we did physical scrapbooks. And I got a physical scrapbook for my first year. And I was like, what is this? No, I love scrapbooks. <laughs> I know, but it's like so time consuming. Yeah. And, and that, I showed I, it to my, exactly what I did. I was like, uh, it's going to take too much time. We're going to do a digital. Well, and I tried to do it digital, but there was no platforms back in the, back in the heyday, but I showed it to my dad and I was so proud of it. And he's looking through it and he's like, were you even in this group? Because I was behind the camera the whole time. Yes. And that happens to me too. I look back at a bunch of pictures and I'm like, I took that. And I'm like, but I'm not in it. (laughs) 
Right. Right. Actually, I would, I would, I would have friends that are like, Krista, you're never in the picture. We'll take it. And so I would, I'd get into some. Yeah. So word to the wise for all the historians out there, make sure you get in your own pictures. Or take selfies, like group huge. I got really good at the huge group selfie. So I get way in the front, lean down and I could, anytime we need a huge group selfie, they give the camera to me. There you go. So what kind of involvement did you have at your chapter? Were you historian for all the years you were there? What other kinds of things did you do? So, yes, I was historian for, well, of course you join the first year and then, you know, you sign up for the different offices, but I was historian for all of the years that I was there. And there was a year where I was historian and secretary at the same time. I kind of wanted to move from being historian. I mean, I loved it, but they needed a nomination for secretary and I was like well being the secretary is really pretty much the same thing as being a historian except you're documenting in words instead of in pictures and so that's what I said I remember the meeting that's what I said at the meeting everyone voted me (laughs) secretary and so I was like I'll do both so and they voted me for historian too because no one else signed up to try to be historian they were all like no I'm not doing that So I was both, I was like, I don't care. (laughs) So I did. Oh my gosh. If there was an LKS event, I was, I mean, I was there. That was just LKS other than studying LKS was pretty much like my life at Wilkes. And the funny thing is, is one of the kind of, I'll kind of skip down a little bit, but one of your questions I know was going to ask me like, what's my favorite LKS memory? The hilarious thing about that is my entire Wilkes experience is an LKS memory because the people that I'm still friends with, if I count through all of the people that I still talk to all the time, text, we get together, they're all LKS. So like even going through events that are not LKS events, they look like an LKS event because we're all, we're all getting ready for farm ball at Ashley's house. We're all in LKS. Like we, we, that's just how it was. If it was an event, it was an LKS event. And that's still the joke. We will get together. And that's the joke. We all show up and we're like, LKS event. <laughs> and we're like, we're not doing LKS. Like, I don't know. It, the, the relationships that I formed because of LKS. And of course, you know, pharmacy school kind of facilitates that as well. You're in some really hard positions. You're with the same 72 people for every day of your life. And even when class is over, you're probably with those people still. And that was just my LKS family. And so, you know, it's funny, you know, I was involved in everything in LKS, but really even anything that wasn't LKS was LKS. (laughs) My heart is bursting, Krista. Yes. We have that too. We've, I've noticed that sometimes we'll be at a wedding and I look around, I'm like, oh Oh, my gosh, it's all LKS girls here. Well, what that table at Ashley's wedding, Letitia, I'm pretty sure we were all in LKS. There was eight of us, eight of us, the whole eight table was LKS. Hey, you know, sometimes that's just, it's just what it is. You find your people. Yes. You find them and you keep them. I mean, when you, I mean, what, there's not much else that you can, when you connect with people in general and you have the most to talk about, it's usually about your job right now in your age. My fiance is very upset about that because he's not And so for the, you just talk about it. Yep. For the first hour we get together with all of our friends from college and stuff, it's like, and it's all, and he's kind of like, all right, are Mm -hmm. we ready to talk about other stuff now? And I'm (laughs) like, what else is there? I'm sorry. What else is there to talk about? Yeah, no, (laughs) Um, there's not much else to talk about. 
Yeah, it's really hard for non-pharmacy people to be around multiple pharmacy people. That's, yeah, he does that's a good really job, tough. though, because he is now friends with a lot of my friends from yeah. college. And so it's gotten a lot better. But when we first started, <laughs> he must have been like, what did I get into? I think some people try to integrate and listen and learn and other people just like probably are doing something else in their brain and just yeah. like sitting there and, and just waiting for it to be over. Right. But that's why I feel like we connect with like-minded individuals in an organization that has a common goal for what we want and in an area of the main focus of our lives, which is our now our jobs. So right. it's not shocking to me that a lot of us connect really well with the people in the organization. Krista, I have one more question for you. Yes. You've been asking this to a lot of our guests on the podcast, and we have a lot of student listeners. And this also applies to all of our pharmacist listeners as well, but what are you doing for self-care and well-being during this pandemic, during all these stressful times? How are you taking care of you? Any tips for our listeners out there? Absolutely. I think really one of the best tips that I can find is... Your self-care is meant for you. And so while it is great to find new ideas from other people, if you try it and it is not relaxing to you, it is stressful to you, mm -hmm. then it's okay if that, if, if your best friend's self-care is not your self-care, that is entirely normal. If it is your self-care, then that just makes it even better. But mm -hmm. for some people doing a, a spa kind of vibe. So whether that's a face mask or Epsom salt bath or a, you know, something of that nature. If that's your vibe, that's your vibe. I can enjoy a mask, but I never remember to do them or mm -hmm. I do it for 15 minutes. And it's not that it's relaxing. I usually do it because I noticed I had a zit on my face. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't always do it, but my best friend, she loves it. Like mm -hmm. it is her, like it grounds her. She's like on Fridays, we do this. I do this charcoal mask and I love it. And I love the mask by the way, but it's just, it's not necessarily my version of self-care. Mm -hmm. And for some people reading can be very relaxing for other people. It's just not relaxing or it just immediately makes them fall asleep. Well, sometimes when you want to relax, that's not exactly just, you know, the point. And so I, I guess for myself, I guess to kind of answer your question, you know, what do I do? I mentioned earlier, I have three days off and three days on and three days off and three days on. And what I have noticed for myself, even in the pandemic and all that jazz, you know, when you have days off, you often plan to do things on your days off, whether that's appointments or whether that's mm -hmm. clean the house or do the things, you know, get together with somebody or your family or, or whatever it is. I have noticed though, that if I plan all the things for all three of those days off. And I don't actually have a day or like a half of a day where I can flat out do nothing, not clean, not nothing for at least a couple of hours mm -hmm. and just do whatever happens to come to me, whether that's playing on my Nintendo switch, whether that's just watching a Netflix show, it does, it's not always the same thing. If I don't plan that for one of my three days off, then I get back to work and I'm like, did I even have a day I off? And that's how I feel. So mm -hmm. I feel like that could probably apply to a lot of people, especially pharmacists who probably have either longer schedules or they only have certain days off in the week. And even students, you know, you have 
classes at certain periods. And even if you're at home all the time, make sure you're planning for yourself a little bit of time to either flat out do nothing or do whatever it is that your heart wants to do. Play a game, watch watch a show, whatever. But plan it because if you don't plan it, you'll end up planning for an appointment or getting work done around the house or studying or planning a presentation, which all of those things are important. But if I've noticed if I don't plan relaxation time, then I don't feel like I ever relaxed. And that just becomes a spiral (laughs) of doing all the things all the time. You said two really big things there that I want to emphasize for our listeners. Find what works for you and set time aside and do it set that time aside and find those things that work for you. Believe me, I'm, I was very frustrated when baths didn't work for me. I appreciate that as well to find your own path, find ideas from other people, try it out. If it doesn't work for you, move on, find your own. Always try new things and don't be afraid to try new things. You know, you may find that it's not for you, but wouldn't you rather know that it's not for you than always wonder what if it is for you versus Mm -hmm. you may try something that you never like this job that I have, (laughs) I tried out this job and I would have never even considered it X number of years ago. Mm -hmm. And now I, I don't know that I'd go back to any other job if I could help it. I don't mean to go on a quick tangent, but you know, you get, especially in a, in a field that is not super understood yet, you get a lot of no one who's being negative, but they're like, well, aren't you kind of afraid of like, well, what are the implications? And you know, it's not really federally legal. Like how do you feel about it? And, and here's kind of my takeaway with that as well is I've always said, if I feel like the majority of the people that we are serving are not getting benefit or, or I'm not actually helping them, I'm just sitting there, then I'm out. I need to help people. So as long as I feel like the majority of the people that I serve, I'm actually helping with their conditions and making a difference, then I'm staying right here. I don't care what happens with the law and all that kind of jazz. I'm here because I feel like I'm making such a big difference. And I've never felt that passionate about making a difference before. And I think that's what really sold me. Like I always loved doing my interning, but I've never felt like this. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's beautiful. (laughs) And I think that's fantastic. Not everyone gets to do that. Not everyone has that opportunity to find what they're so passionate about and what they love to do every day. And I think this gives another opportunity for students that are looking for that as, you know, maybe an opportunity to, to look into that a little bit more. You know, any students who do have more specific questions, reach out to either of them they can certainly, you know, reach out to me or I I don't mind giving out like my Wilkes email or something like that. You know, if it makes you more comfortable to get some questions answered about what I do, or if you have any specific questions, again, I work in Pennsylvania, so I may not be able to answer all questions, but even if I can help even just at all, you know, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. That'd be amazing. Yeah. If we can, we could probably put your email in the like bio. Thank you, Krista. Thanks, Krista. You're very welcome. That was so much, a lot of information. I think that'll be so helpful for so many people. So thank you so much for sharing your experience and your job. You know, we really like kind of digging into, and I think Letitia and I and and Sarah just love learning more about different pathways that we didn't know existed and more about things that just are outside of our normal realm. So hopefully everyone likes to, to do that too. So we thank you for sharing your experience with us as well. I can't do Sarah's ending. So we'll have to have Sarah jump in (laughs) to her ending. Uh, I can never do it for her, but we'll see you in two shakes of a lamp. Oh, there you go. Letitia. I love it. I love it. Thanks.
If you or your local family farms lamb are interested in sponsoring an episode, please reach out to the podcast hosts or Aaron Regala at LKSHQ. As we work to produce meaningful content for our sisters, please send us an email at lambtalkspodcast at lks.org if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Additional updates can also be found on the LKS social media channels. Instagram at Lambda Kappa Sigma, Twitter at LKS1913, and Facebook. While you're enjoying Lamb Talks, don't forget to leave us a review, rate five stars, and share with fellow sisters, potential new members, and other pharmacists. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two shakes of a lamb's tail.